Hey guys, welcome back to Recalibrate, a mindset podcast designed to help you break free from the old and press on to the new. I really appreciate you guys connecting every week to listen, to learn, and to grow. If you are a subscriber, I want to say thank you for your following. And if this is your first time connecting to this podcast, I hope and pray that you get more than you expected. Today's episode is not the regular podcast format. It's a little different. It is actually a message that I shared at the Family Church in McAllen, Texas uh, months ago. And it is a combination of uh, adolescent mental health and parenting. I hope that you enjoy it. It has a lot of takeaways that if you take with you and apply to your own life as a parent or as a future parent or as a grandparent, (laughs) if you take those and apply them, I am sure that they will change your life. I was uh, recently... Speaking, I was doing a keynote address for a group of mental health professionals uh, in Brownsville, and I was touching on the topic that I like to talk about a lot, which is adolescent mental health. Actually, uh, my doctoral studies are on that, and I've been writing a lot of essays and doing a lot of work on adolescent mental health ages 14 through 19 years of age. And as I was praying about today and know, you know, what uh, I would share, what God wanted me to share, I felt uh, in my heart that it was along the lines of uh, mental health. And I'm going to land it and make it uh, biblically applicable to your life so that you can see it from a whole different perspective. Today's message is called Daddy, Daddy Issues. Okay, how many of you have Daddy Issues? Don't raise your hand. Raise your hand. But if I were to quiz you and I were to do a survey, 75% of all of you here today have daddy issues. You see, every time I deal with someone who's an adult, perhaps in their 50s or 40s or 60s at times, and they're having issues in their marriage or issues parenting their kids or struggling with some kind of uh, mental health issue, 75% of the time it's daddy issues. Now, it's more daddy than mommy, although some have mommy issues, but those are uh, very few, very rare. Mostly it's daddy issues. And the reason that daddy issues are more prevalent is because daddies have a little more power. Now, I love all my sisters in Christ, all the moms here. I don't want to underestimate the power of a mom. You became a mom the moment you found out you were pregnant. Dad became a dad the moment he held the baby and didn't know what to do with it. You know, he says, now I'm a dad. What do I do? So mom has an advantage, you know, nine months advantage over dad. But everyone knows that all it takes is one hug from dad to override 20 kisses from mom, okay? And again, I'm not underestimating the power of mom, but dads have a lot of power. So there are a lot of daddy issues when I deal with young people, young people who are on Concerta or uh, Ritalin because they have ADHD or ADD or their borderlining personality disorder. 75% of those kids actually need a daddy. That's all they need. They need a little bit of TLC, tender love and care. That's all they need. A little bit, some hugs. You see, the number one problem today, and I'm speaking about adolescence, 14 through 19 years of age, the number one mental health issue today is what? Depression. Depression is number one mental health issue in ages 14 through 19 years of age. Growing up, when I was, you know, a kid back in the 70s, we didn't know about depression in, in little kids. We didn't even know what the word meant. Now 14 through 19 years of age. 
Second cause of death in adolescents 14 through 19 years of age. What is it? Suicide. Number one is accidents. Number two is suicide. Number three is cancer. Suicide. Did you know that 17% of all high school kids, yes, in the valley and across the nation, 17% of all high school kids have suicidal ideation? Did you know that they have a plan, the tools, and the time? They're just waiting. Okay, 17 out of every 100 kids in high school have suicidal ideation. And although we would want to believe that it has to do with social media, that it has to do with society, that it has to do with education, and I don't even want to go into education because you know that I'm a director of a Christian school, which if you're a believer, you should have your kids in a Christian school. I'm not condemning you. I'm not condemning you. I'm just saying... If you want to invest in your kids, invest. Put them in the right education. If you're a teacher in the public school system, God bless you. May God use you mightily. May he use you mightily to be a catalyst for change. Although you're unarmed really because you can't preach the gospel. But may they see Christ through your actions. So may God use you. Amen. But if you want a great school, bring them over to Covenant Christian Academy. Okay. <laughs> Plug in. All right. Okay. <laughs> what is the number one fear in adolescence today? Number one fear. Now, it used to be public speaking the fear, or the fear of death or the fear of heights. Number one fear today is, come on, uh, youth, chime in, anyone? It's called FOMO. FOMO. The fear of missing out. You get to an age where you enjoy JOMO. The joy of missing out because you don't care. I don't care. I don't care what's going on. They're so hung on the fear of missing out, the fear of being disconnected. But in all reality, who they're disconnected from the most is from dad. And that's where the problem started. Because there is no relationship, there is no connectedness, therefore they're looking for approval outside the home. And if you wonder why the kid who's 16 years old is already promiscuous and having sex out there with a bunch of kids, it's because something is going on in the home. You have to recalibrate and you have to ask yourself, what is it? I said this early in the service today. I said, some of you are completely as dads, and I'm speaking to the dads right now, completely in tune with what's going on with, you know, whether it's in football or, or even in the White House but you are oblivious to what's going on in your house. You gotta recalibrate, recalibrate. What are you here for? What is your purpose in life? You've gotta recalibrate. See, because you don't know what you don't know and ignorance is not bliss. Ignorance steals, kills, and destroys. It's ignorance. The enemy comes through ignorance. And the prophet Hosea in Hosea 4, 6 said, my people perish due to what? Lack of knowledge, lack of understanding. Understand this. If you cannot define it, you will never defeat it. Let me say it again. If you cannot define it, you will never defeat it. I'm not upset. I'm just passionate, okay? I'm not upset. This is how I speak. I ask my kids. Okay, Dad, calm down, right? Okay. I'm the father of two boys, 27 and 6-year-old. Yes, 21 years apart. So what? You have a problem, you don't know how that happened, ask my wife. <laughs> and I have two grandkids, Emery and Ezra, and they're, they're a joy. Love them. Love them, yes, yes, praise God. You have to be able to define your problem. 
If you can't define it, you can't defeat it. You go to the doctor, something hurts, they run an x-ray, they find the tumor, they extract. We have to do the same thing, dads. We have to do the same thing. This message is for you. We have to do the same thing. We have to go before the Lord like David said, examine me, O God, put my thoughts to the test and show me if there's any sin, if there's any iniquity, if there's any evil in me. Because whatever it is, is holding me back. So every day I, I, I can picture David going before God and saying, examine me, O God, and put my thoughts to the test. Recalibrating every day, recalibrating every day. Because you can't define it, you will never defeat it. My greatest joy, my greatest joy after Thanksgiving, oh boy, was sitting in the living room with my family. And David, I'm sorry, Daniel, my six-year-old, he comes and he stands in front of us and he recites Psalm 150. That's my greatest joy. For some of you, your greatest joy is that your kid knows how to floss. See, my kid can't floss, but he can recite Psalm 150. See, that's my great joy. Some of you are thinking, what is floss? Now, if you're a baby boomer, you probably don't understand. How many baby boomers? Don't raise your hand. See, I said earlier today, if you're a baby boomer, you know because you have a notebook and three pens. You ready? If you're a Gen Xer like me, you have a notebook, no pen, and you're looking for a baby boomer to borrow a pen. If you're a millennial, you're thinking, what is a notebook? And if you're a Gen Z, you're oblivious. You just don't care, okay? So that's just, you know, anyways. So I celebrate because he does Psalm 150, and then Ezra, my grandson, of course, he doesn't want, he wants to compete with his uncle Daniel, who's six, and he's four, and then he recites John 3.16, just like that out of the blue. Okay, fill in the blank. For God so, the, that he, his only begotten, that whosoever in him should not, but have life. Good. You got it. Give yourselves a hand. Good job. Good job. Okay. So my greatest joy is that. My greatest purpose isn't that my kids will become popular, wealthy, go to the best universities or land the dream job. That's not my goal. That, 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 that's, that's not even a thought. My goal, my purpose is to lead them to God through Christ that they would become everything that God has called them to be. But I know that I know that I know that in order to do that, I must become a disciple so that therefore I can become a teacher. Because if I'm not a disciple, what do I teach? You've got to be a disciple. You see, I'm like the apostle John who said in 1 John 3, 4, I have no greater joy to hear that my children walk in the truth. There's no greater joy. No greater joy. The other stuff is, is, is not important. You see, I'm going to focus once again on, on the dads. I want you to understand that your son will become like you. Your daughter, your daughter will marry someone like you 75% of the time. Actually, actually, 75% of the time, people marry their worst parent. The question is, which one is the worst one? <laughs> but that's the truth. 75% of the time, you're, right now you're thinking. Now, come back, come back. Re-engage, re-engage, re-engage. Re-engage. I shouldn't have said that because now you're thinking, oh, mom or dad, mom or dad, mom or dad, mom or dad, mom or dad. Dads, you have the power to impact your children for good or for bad. 
Bless them or curse them, lift them up, tear them down. Either you fill them with hope or you fill them with despair. Deuteronomy 39.10 says, I have set before you life and blessings and choose life that you and your children might live. It's a choice. What am I choosing today? I can choose, now those of you who know me know that I'm a marathon runner. I can choose to train for marathons or I can choose to sit on the couch and eat Doritos. Now, whatever I choose is going to influence my kids. Now, if you ask David, my oldest, and Daniel, my youngest, they'll tell you that they're both runners. And they, in their minds, think that it runs through their blood, that it's genetics, that it runs through their DNA. And hey, if that's what they want to think, that's fine, as long as they keep running. They take care of their bodies, the temple of the Holy Spirit. They keep running, keep running, keep running and doing. But if I sit on the couch and eat Doritos, guess what they'll do? They'll sit on the couch and eat Doritos. So I want to make sure that I choose life so that they too may live. You see, the Bible says in Proverbs 22, 6, and we all know this or should know this, train up a child in the way that he should go so that when he's old, he will not what? Depart from it. Train up a child, not an adolescent, not a teenager. Train up a child. You see, as a father, as a father, you have to have this mindset. And I'm, talk, I'm not talking about growth mindset or fixed mindset or positive mindset. As a father, you have to have this mindset that your number one ministry is your family. That's your mindset. It's not the outside, and yeah, it's good that you go and reach people, and, and I'm glad that you come and you tell me that because of you, you know, 10, 10 people receive Christ. My question is, where are your kids? How are they serving? What are they doing? How are they living? Your first ministry, that's your mindset, Dad, should be my first ministry is my home. That's where I have to start first. Because then if I don't, I'm going to say this, man, I don't know how to say this. Okay, Lord, do I say it? Okay, I don't know how to say it. If you don't, if you can't, if you can't lead your family, Miss T, you suck as a leader, okay? I'm just saying, if you can't lead your family and you're running a big corporation, who cares if your family's lost? You start with your family. That's the mindset. Now, let me ask you a question. How do you train an elephant? How do you train an elephant? You train an elephant with lies. You tell the elephant that it's, it's small, it's not big, and I have a picture somewhere up there. And see, you tell the elephant, you're not big, you're small. You're not strong, you're weak. You see, when the elephant is born under the circus tent, they put a shackle around its foot, a chain, and a stake in the ground. The moment it's born, and so there they, they condition the mind to believe, or the elephant to believe, that it's not going anywhere. And as long as the shackle is on it. And that's how they train it. The trainer uses a whip and they whip all these lies into the elephant. And that's how they train them and they get to do all these things, you know, and they submit to the trainer. If we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can become like that trainer. We don't know the truth. We're, saying, we're speaking lies over our children's lives and it's forming a shackle around their foot and it's keeping them bound and held back from becoming the person that is God has called them to be. If we're not careful, we have to know the truth. Dads, we, we have to be disciples in order to become teachers. We have to learn because you can't give what you don't have. You can't teach what you don't know. And you can't lead someone to a place that you've never been to before. Who are you trying to kid? Come on. It's not who you are. It's not who you are that holds you back. Dads, I'm speaking to you because you have daddy issues too.
It's not who you are that's holding you back. It's who you think that you are not that's keeping you bound and keeping you from moving forward. In order to be able to speak into your kid's life, and it doesn't matter how old they are, in order to speak into their lives, you've got to, you've got to get healed yourself. You need healing. You need healing. You need to let go. I deal with people who are 40, 50, 60 years old. I said this, and they're, they're having daddy issues. And because of that, they have marriage issues. And because of that, they have parenting issues. And they have issues, and they die with their issues. And I ask them, you're 60 years old. Where's your father? Well, he's dead, and you're still holding on to him. Let go. Forgive and let go. Well, he, he walked down on us. Let go. You've got to let go. Otherwise, that's the lie that the enemy is using to control you. You see, when, when the kid is zero through 11 years of age, we are the trainer. We are the coach. Zero through 11, train up a child in the way that he should go. Zero through 11, we are the trainer. We are the coach. I think I have the bullet points up there. Once we, they get to 12 years of age, we become their counselor, 12 to 18. If we did a good job at the beginning and the second portion of their life, then we become the counselor. We tell them what to do and how to do it, and they'll say yes or no, or you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Usually that's what happens. You Mom, Dad, you don't know what you're talking about. But if you did a good job, they'll listen at least respectfully. But if you did a really good job at the first stage as a trainer, then a counselor, then when they are older, 19 through the rest of their lives, you become their advisor. You no longer go to them. They come to you. Now, Dad, if your son, who's already an adult, comes to you for advice, you have done an outstanding job. But if they're looking for advice in other people, something is missing. Something is missing. You see, before you can train them up, you have to connect to their hearts. Before you train them up, before you guide somebody, even a coach who leads a football team, you know, a basketball team, you've ever read, uh, you know, the story of a coach Wooden, you know, you, you, would, you would see in his life story that he would connect to people, to the players' hearts before leading them by the hand because there, there are three, three very important questions that the kid is going to ask about you before he lets go and holds on to your hand. And the three questions are, do you care for me? Can I trust you? And can you help me? Three questions. And if the answer is yes, yes, and yes, there's a connection and then you can lead. If the answer is no, no, and no, there's a disconnect and they're gone. Do you care for me? Can I trust you? Can you help me? Yes, yes, and yes. Ask yourself that question today. Dads, if I ask this to my son or my daughter, is the answer going to be affirmative? Son, do you feel that I care for you? Do you feel that you can trust me? Do you feel that I can help you? Yes, yes, and yes. You've done a good job. The answers are no, no, and no. Then you have to go back like David. Examine me, O Lord, and put my thoughts to the test. Show me if there's any evil, if there's any iniquity in me. You see, the centurion went to Jesus. And the centurion said to Jesus, and I'm paraphrasing, my servant is paralyzed and only you can heal him. But I'm not worthy that you would go into my home, but just speak the word and he will be healed. See, the centurion asked those three questions about Jesus. And the answer was yes, yes, and yes. The woman with the issue of blood, she was looking behind her drape, seeing Jesus out there. Forever ill, anemic, no energy. But because she answered yes, yes, and yes to those three questions, she dragged herself out into the multitude and received her healing. Blind Bartimaeus, nobody could shut him up. He couldn't even see Jesus. But he asked the question, it was yes, yes, and yes. So what did he do? He went out of his way, he got out of his comfort zone. 
He did everything that was, that was, uh, that was wrong because he was just by Bartimaeus. He was a beggar on the side of the streets of uh, to Jericho. And everybody was telling him to shut up. Basically, they said, shut up, Bartimaeus. And he cried out to Jesus because he had answered yes, yes, and yes. And what did he do? Jesus healed him. Every home needs a Jesus. Every home needs a Jesus. And dads have been called to be the what? The priest of their household. But you've given that responsibility over to your wife. You have been called to be the priest of your household. And I'm not saying that your wife walks behind you. She walks beside you. The Bible calls her a paraclete. Paraclete is only used to define two people. The wife, your perfect, perfect helpmate, and the Holy Spirit. If you didn't know that, ladies say amen. So I'm like the Holy Spirit, the lady says, right? Yes. Paraclete, which means perfect help. The Holy Spirit, and God calls paraclete also to uh, the Holy Spirit. Every home needs to be a Jesus. The question is, who's going to be Jesus? You see, when you have someone in your house, and this particularly dad, who resembles the character qualities of Jesus, the son or the daughter, easily fall in love with the Heavenly Father. I mean, growing up, I was 12 years old when I was hit with a disease that affected my central nervous system, and I was in excruciating pain for months. And I cried myself to sleep. I was 12 years old. And every time that I woke up in pain and I turned around right next to my bed, didn't matter what time it was, 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 in the morning, 3 in the morning, my father was sitting in a couch chair right next to me. And his eyes wide open just looking at me, making sure that I was okay. Now, my mom and dad are, are exceptional people. They're both lovely. And I speak about my dad right now, not minimizing my mother because she's amazing. But my father was there. And because he was there all the time as an adult, I was able to understand Psalm 121 that says that the protector that looks over Israel neither sleeps nor slumbers. My dad was always there. And I thought, boy, if that's my earthly father, how much more my heavenly father? Amen. You see, our example, our example can, as parents, as dads, can cause our children to, to draw close to God. Or simply run away from him with incredulous hearts. Our example, as I was shaving, and, and Daniel David, which is now 27, was, was a little guy, and I was in the mirror shaving, and he was looking at me, and I was looking at him. I was looking at him, and I was thinking about what I used to be. He was looking at me, and he seen what he would soon become. Who I am will define who he will be. And we underestimate that. And we're out there trying to be the providers and the suppliers, which is good. But don't ever forget about your kids. Don't ever forget about your family. That's your first ministry. Whatever we speak over our children, 80% of the time comes to fruition. Whatever we speak, whatever it is. By the age of 17, the child has heard, yes, you can 5,000 times versus no, you can't 150,000 times. It's true research-based. 5,000, yes, you can. 150,000, no, you can't by the age of 17. How do you train an elephant with lies? How many of you are gardeners? Raise your hand if you're a gardener. Nobody. Okay, good. I'm sure what you, you know what your yard looks like. Okay. The Chinese bamboo tree is, is, is a different kind of tree. Now, it's different because you plant the seed... 
and it takes five years before it breaks the ground. Five years. So if you are growing Chinese bamboo trees, you better be very patient. This is not for impatient people. It's not for the people who love to hit the buy now button on Amazon. You know, you get it two days and, and you're frustrated because it's two days. I want it today. I want it now. The Chinese bamboo tree, they plant the seed five years. And the guy who's cultivating it goes out every day, waters, fertilizes, removes a weed. Waters, fertilizer, remove the weed. Waters, does this for five years and then all of a sudden, one inch grows, breaks through, and there's, there's a tiny little bamboo tree. Right after that, what happens is most amazing, it's miraculous. Right after five years and breaking the ground, then what happens in five weeks, five to six weeks, is that tiny little bamboo tree sprout grows 80 feet. 80 feet is equivalent to a six-story building. In five weeks, let me break it down to you. Break it down for you to understand it. It grows one inch per hour for five weeks. So if you look at it at one inch, you turn around and come back 12 hours later, it's 13 inches. Yeah, that's how it grows. It's, it's miraculous. The Chinese bamboo tree. Now the question is, did the Chinese bamboo tree start growing at the fifth year? Mark. No. The Chinese bamboo tree started growing the moment it was sown into the ground. You see, what you didn't see was what was going on underneath. There was a root system. It was deep and wide. Deep and wide. Why? Because it needs a foundation to grasp, to grow such a tall tree. How does that relate to us? Every word, every action, everything that is spoken, everything our kids observe. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, your actions are so loud I can't hear what you're saying. Everything that they see, everything that we speak are seeds that are, that are they're sown into the ground of their minds and into their hearts. And although we can't see anything happening on the exterior, in five years, boom, it breaks ground. And then we start to see it grow. And in a matter of five weeks, it becomes this giant tree for good or for bad. So whatever you're doing today and you think, dads, is not making a difference in the lives of your kids. It is for good or for bad. Just like the Chinese bamboo tree. We need to get used to not speaking to our kids through our frustrations, through our own fears, through our own traumas, hurts, hang-ups, anger. We need to start calling our kids what God calls them. You call the things that are not as though they were until they become what God has called them to be. You may not see it in the natural, but you're not going to speak in the natural. You're going to speak from God's word and you will cause that thing to come into existence because there's creative power in the words that we speak. Amen. James Lights Out Tony was a boxer. He's a middleweight boxer. He's now in his 50s. But when he was 29 years old, Sports Illustrated interviewed this guy because he was undefeated. He was a monster. I mean, this guy would go out there and, 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 and kill. And that was his goal. His vision was to go out and destroy. He was kind of like a Mike Tyson on steroids with a deeper voice. Some of you got that. Okay. 
James lights out Tony. This is verbatim. This is, I took this from the magazine, from Sports Illustrated. They asked him, hey, how, how do you, where, where does this passion come from? This passion to go out and just obliterate. Where does it come from? And this is what he said. I fight with anger. My dad, he did my mom wrong. He left us. He beat my mother up all the time. He shot my mom, left her with a mark on her leg. He made my mom work two jobs and he, he just left his responsibilities behind. I can never forgive that. Everything is about that. I look at my opponent and I see my dad, so I have to take him out and I have to kill him. He was 29 at the time of the interview. His dad left him when he was seven. 22 years later, he was holding on to it. He's now 51 and he still holds on to it. That's the power of a father, for good or for bad. Four ways to parent. Here goes, up on the screen, four ways to parent. See which one you are. Okay, the first one is rules without a relationship equal rebellion. It's all about rules. No, 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 no. Rules, no relationship, no hugs, no kiss, no words of affirmation, none of that. And therefore the kid becomes rebellious. And then you ask yourself, what happened? I gave him everything. Yeah, except love. The second one, relationship without rules equals aggression. It's all about permissiveness. Oh, do whatever you want. Give him the tablet. Let him watch YouTube. Doesn't matter. No restrictions. No boundaries. Just give him the iPad. Let him do whatever he wants to do. Let him go where he wants to go. Hang with whoever he wants to hang. Just let him do. Let him be. He needs to grow up and learn, right? He needs to fall, right? Wrong. Relationship. Without rules, no boundaries, equals aggression. The moment that you want to reel him in, he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't care to listen to you. I'm my own man. I can do whatever I want. Aggression. And then you have the third one, absence. The absent father. Now, I'm not talking about physical absence. He can be present, but absent because he's playing Fortnite. <laughs> Because he's playing Candy Crush. Because he's watching YouTube videos. Because he's, he's so stuck in his fantasy football that his family's a fantasy. And the last one, rules plus a relationship equal, equal blessings. You combine the two. Now, when you share the gospel, the next slide there, and then when you share the gospel, you have to be very careful. When we share the gospel to our kids, if we only share truth without grace, it comes across as condemnation. Oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. The Bible says this. The Bible says that. You can't do that. Oh, oh, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. You're a sinner. Condemnation. And then you have the polar opposite where you have grace without truth. Oh, God is love. It's all good. Then you have, you condone. You condone. So you have to have a fine balance of the two in order to raise up and train up a child so when he's older, he won't depart from it. Amen. Okay, let me move forward now because my time is short here. And I want to share this about, I want to move on to David. David, King David. Now, you know the story of King David. I'm going to kind of go through some things there in his life. You know, some of the milestones. King David is anointed by Samuel. Samuel the prophet goes to Jesse's house. Samuel says, Jesse, bring all your kids. He brings in seven kids. Uh, you know the story. Uh, Samuel the prophet has a horn with oil. He's going to anoint the new king. Saul is the king. But Saul was chosen by the people. But God now says, I've chosen for myself a king, he says. I've chosen him. It's not the people. I've chosen because Saul went the wrong way. So now I'm going to choose my own king. So he chooses, he chooses one. But as he's going down the line, God says, no, not this one, not the second one, not the third one, not the fourth 
fourth, not the fifth, not the sixth, not the seventh. And then he reminds him, he says, I'm not here, and I'm paraphrasing, he says, I'm not here to anoint skill, talent, abilities, or good looks. He says, I'm here to anoint a heart. He says, I'm looking for a heart and not for a particular man. He says, so, so he's confused, and he looks at Jesse, and Samuel says, do you have any other kids? And he says, I do. He says, bring them in because we won't sit down until he comes in. So in comes David. David was out, you know, 14, 15 years old, shepherding sheep and goat. He comes in smelling really bad. Just, uh, Samuel looks at him and he knows right away that he is the anointed king. So he anoints him. And from that point on, it takes him from that, from that point to becoming king. He doesn't become king until he's about 30 years old. So it's a time of process. So we know that from there, then he, he slays the giant. And after slaying the giant, you know, fast forward, then he sleeps with Bathsheba. That's not his wife. Gets her pregnant. Wants to cover up his sin. So he sends off Bathsheba's husband to the front, forefront. Gets him killed, Uriah the Hittite, he dies. So now he's a murderer. And so now he has a kid and the baby dies. And he grieves and he mourns. And that incident and that everything happening becomes like, a, it forms like a cataclysmic event in his life and it spirals out of control. There's a point in time where David, a man after God's own heart, Gets too full of himself and he believes that he's a great leader and he can do it without God's help. And that's when we fast forward and then we go to Ziglag. They defeat the Philistines. They come back to Ziglag. The camp has been destroyed by the Amalekites. They take the wives, the, the kids, and, and their possessions. And David is with his mighty men and the mighty men are, 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 are talking about stoning him to death because they're blaming his lack of leadership. So the Bible says that David cried and could, he'll, he could cry no more. He had no more tears. And he's thinking, I'm going to die. They're going to kill me, my own friends, the people who worshiped me, the people who, who, who supported me. But then we know the story that he goes on to a place by himself, and it says, and David encouraged himself, and the Lord is God, and he found strength. We know that God gave him back what the enemy took, and that's where he recalibrated. That's where David kind of recalibrated. So, oh, okay, I almost, got, I almost, I almost died right there in the process because I, I, I was doing my own thing. So he recalibrates. And then, of course, he's the king. And now he has, and I'm fast forwarding, now he has three kids, you know, plus others. But the three kids that I want to focus on are Absalom, Tamar, and Amnon. Absalom and Tamar are blood related. And Amnon is a half-brother. And so Amnon loved his half-sister, like not in a good way. And so a friend of his, you know, and him put together this plan. And they, he calls her in and says, hey, hey, sis, I'm sick. Make me some soup. I'm paraphrasing. And so as she gets near to him, he rapes her. So now in the king's home, there's been incest and there's been rape. And so three years later, because Absalom, the brother brother, finds out what happened, he gets a few men together and he sends those men out to kill his half-brother Amnon. So now there's rape, incest, and murder within the king's house. And he's oblivious. He knows what's going on. But he's not doing anything because he knows he's part of the problem. His absence, his focusing on conquering, left his leadership astray in his own home. The sin, his original sin with Bathsheba, what he did, it just spiraled out of control. So now he's having to suffer the consequences. I've always told parents, that the word says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. That's what the word says. 
In other words, let me, let me translate that. Kids can be stupid. Okay? It says, but the rod of discipline corrects them. Well, I don't want to discipline my kids. I don't want them to cry. Okay, then you're going to cry when he's 15. I would rather my kid cry today than I cry tomorrow. Right? So train them up. So now you have Absalom flees his father. And not only does he flee his father, he has so much anger in him. And I don't know what all went through his mind. He's got so much anger in him that he flees. He leaves and he puts together a civil war, a revolt. And he wants to take his father's throne. Now David is older and he knows what's going on. So he tells Joab, his captain, he says, hey, Joab, do me a favor. Go bring Absalom. Now, the Bible says that Absalom was a good-looking guy. He had long, flowing hair, like Fabio. <laughs> yeah, baby boomers are laughing. Okay. He was long, flowing hair. And as he was on a colt, his hair got stuck or wrapped in, in some branches in a tree, under a tree. So some of the, 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 the soldiers saw what was going on. They ran to Joab and said, Joab! Job, we, we, he's caught, he's, he's caught in, in, in the tree. And, they, and he says, why didn't you kill him? And, but they remembered that the king gave specific instructions. He says, bring him back, but treat him gently. Don't harm him. Don't kill him. So Joab says, are you crazy? Why didn't you kill him? He says, no, we're following the king's instructions. We don't want to go against him. So Joab took it upon himself to get three darts, three arrows, and he drove them through Absalom's heart, through his chest. And then he summoned 10 of his men and he said, go finish him off. And they killed Absalom against the king's instructions. So now there's incest and two dead sons within the same household under the same lack of leadership. We're talking about a man after God's own heart, okay? And this is what King David says when he finds out what has happened. 2 Samuel 18, 33. The king was stunned, heartbroken. He went up to the room over the gate and wept. As he wept, he cried out, Oh, my Absalom, my dear, dear son Absalom. Why not me rather than you? My death and not yours. Oh, Absalom, my dear, dear son. You see Ephesians 6, 4. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Your kids need four essential things. Love, security, purpose, and acceptance. Four basic needs. And of course, they need Christ. But how are they going to accept Christ and want to know Christ and th hunger and thirst after Christ if they don't see that in dad? It's a fallacy. It's a fallacy to believe that that's going to happen if you're not serving or you just come to church. But the rest of the week, you become who you used to be. You see, life is like a relay race. And I'm closing. In a relay race, in a relay race, you have several runners and you have a baton. In a relay race... The goal is to pass on the baton. And in order to pass on the baton, Olympic runners will train for years for that one moment. And what they train at doing the most is passing on the baton. 
That is the hardest part. There are many, so many rules and regulations around the passing on the baton. You can't cross a certain line. You can't give it a certain way. You can't do this. You can't do that. But when you drop the baton, just Google runner drops baton and look at everyone's face like, because when you drop the baton after four years of training for the games, you've lost. It doesn't matter how fast you run. It doesn't matter how athletic you look, how strong you are. If you drop the baton, you drop the baton. The author of Hebrews says this. Since we have such a huge crowd of men of faith watching us from the grandstands, let us strip off anything that slows us down or holds us back, and especially those sins that wrap themselves so tightly around our feet and trip us up. And let us run with patience the particular race that God has set before us. In order to run the race that God has set before us, we have to remove everything that entangles us, every weight that holds us down, every sin that cripples us. And we have to say, oh God, examine me, test me, try me. We have to remove all those things because in the process, we might drop the baton. I have to, draw, I have to pass on the baton to my son, my son to his kids, my grandkids, and so on and so forth, and we should not drop the baton. It doesn't matter my popularity, my wealth. It doesn't matter what have I have achieved or not achieved. What matters is the baton. Pass on the spiritual baton, dads. You're dropping the baton. It is time to pick up the baton, the beauty. The beauty about God is that when you've dropped the baton, he lets you pick it up again. It's not like the Olympic Games. You're disqualified. No, God says, I'm allowing you. Come before me with a contrite and repentant heart. And I will let you pick the baton up again and then pass it on and pass it on and pass it on. It is the blessings. You can either pass on the sins of the forefathers or the blessings to a thousand generations. I'd rather pass on a thousand generations of blessings. Amen. I want to end with this. Amen. I want to end with this, and I, and, and I prayed today, I prayed this morning that the word would, would hit home in all the hearts of the men here today, whether you are a dad, or you will soon become a dad, or someday you will be a dad, I pray that it really go right into your heart and penetrate the marrow, because I want you to know that what is holding you back is your daddy issue. Maybe you were focusing on what I was saying and focusing on your kids and your parenting. Maybe some of you were focusing on your own relationship with your father. And therefore, I pray that God would bring healing to you. I want to show a video. I want you to focus on the screen, please. And I'll explain what you're seeing. This is uh, Derek Redmond, and that's the Barcelona Olympic Games, 1992, and he's representing the UK. Now, Derek is the favorite. He was the one that was going to win. Everyone was talking about him. He had been training his whole life. His whole life training for this particular race, but right there in the middle of the race, he pops a hamstring. It just pops and he comes to a complete stop. And while he's on the ground, he said that while he was on the ground, he remembered telling his father, Dad, he says, one way or another, I'm going to finish the race. I'm going to finish that race one way or another. And the dad said, I believe in you, son. I know that you will. So he gets back up. 
because he remembers the words that he spoke and he remembers the words that were spoken by his father. So he gets up and all of a sudden in the middle of the crowd, thousands of people, a man breaks through the crowd and he breaks through security barriers. He jumps onto the track and he starts running towards the runner and he approaches him, pushing all the security uh, guards aside and he grabs him and look at Derek's face. His countenance changes. All of a sudden there's a sense of relief. A little bit of peace comes over him. He leans in to the man. He holds on. He saw, he said, the man holds him because he sees a sorrow. And the question is, who is this man? It's his dad. That's his father. You see, his father, his trainer, his coach, his everything, his encourager. He pushes the security guards away like our heavenly father pushes away the enemy and his lies pushes him away and here comes another one left and right and he pushes him away and says so back this is my kid this is my son I'm his daddy and he says son we're going to do this together we're going to finish this race together Derek and his dad walk all the way to the finish line look at him he's relentless he's not going to give up that's our heavenly father for you that's the way our heavenly father holds us and cares for us all you need, all we need is just one Jesus in the home. We just need one Jesus. And I'm challenging all of our dads today. I'm challenging you. Mom, you want to be like Jesus? Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord. But dads, you can't pass on that responsibility to your wife. You have got to be like Jesus. As I was speaking today, as the Lord gave me this word for you, I know it was for somebody in this room or for every one of you. And some of you had thoughts of your dad when he walked out, when he beat you or abused you, when he beat your mom, the negative words that were spoken over your life. Or maybe you had thoughts of your dad holding you and sustaining you and caring for you. And you answered all three questions, yes, yes, and yes. Praise God for that. But some of you are still holding on to yesterday. And because you're holding on to history, you can't even see God's destiny. You've got to let go of that. And it's not a matter of just declaration. Declaration and affirmation is good. But if action doesn't accompany it, it's just the beginning of insanity. You can declare it all you want. You have to do because faith has to be active just like love has to be active. Faith without works is dead. You've got to declare it, you've got to believe it, you've got to act on it. Today is the day. You see, the day that you accepted Christ, you received a new heart. But the mind remained the same. And the mind affects the spirit. And out of the spirit we speak. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So whatever comes in here or has been lodged in our minds comes down into our hearts and those are the words that we speak so if you're having a hard time saying I love you if you're having a hard time holding your children or holding your wife and saying I love you and you're using your past as a crutch as a cop-out to say my father never spoke those words over me therefore I never learned them therefore I cannot speak them that is a cop-out because throughout the Word, throughout the Word, we see God's love. 
We hear it. Do you receive it? We're always looking for a prophetic word. Open up your Bible. The prophetic word is in your Bible. It's right there. And it's filled with love. Don't use your past as a cop-out. Break the chains. Break the cycle. Break it. The first step, the first step to healing is accepting Christ. You cannot heal if you don't have Him. You got to have Christ. It's the first step. If you don't know Jesus, and I'm going to say it plain and simple, if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, or if you did at some point, but then you feel that you've fallen away from the Lord and you want to rededicate your life right now is a time. With your eyes closed and your heads bowed, I just want you to raise your hand if that's you. You say, man, I, 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 need, I need to come back to Jesus. I need to recalibrate. Right? Oh, praise God. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Hands up. Praise God. I see hands going up. Thank you. We just need to recalibrate. Okay, put your hands down. I want you to pray with me and all my brothers that are standing and everyone in the congregation, if you would, also pray with us. Heavenly Father, I come before you as a sinner. And I know that Jesus is the Son of God, died on the cross, and rose on the third day. I open up my heart and I receive you, Lord Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. Heal me transform me and give me a new life as of today i will follow you the rest of my days in jesus name if you just pray that prayer i want to say congratulations according to the scriptures you are a new creation old things have passed away and the new has come basically it's like it's like if your life were a blackboard with a lot of chalk all over it you know one of those old school blackboards God took it, he erased it all, and he's allowing you to start off a fresh and a brand new. The things of the past cannot weigh you down anymore because they have been broken. That yoke has been broken off of you. Now is a time to start off a fresh start. Your next step is to find a church that you can connect to so that you can continue growing in your faith. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I pray that it really spoke to your heart and to your mind. Whether you are a mom or a dad, a son or a daughter, I believe that there were enough takeaways for everyone to apply to their very own lives and to see transformation begin. Keep in mind, guys, that every home needs at least one person to be like Jesus. (laughs) Who's it going to be? Mom, dad, son, or daughter? God bless you guys. Love you in Christ.